I could do a three in the three a.m. Thought Blair's thoughts at three a.m. Isn't that what was that song that you sang last time? It's five o'clock in the morning. (laughs) I was like, it's not in the afternoon. Uh, different vibes, my guys. Different vibes. 3 a.m. I must be lonely. <laughs> and they are all sorrow. And, yeah. and <laughs> yeah, I'm just saying, baby. <laughs> we do it so well. It was like all the 2000s. Let me change I know that's not the words, but that's what he sounds like. <laughs> Welcome to the show. I'm Blair. And I'm Kirsten. And we are Mediocre Content. Content. And we're back for another week. This is week, no, this is month two of continuous podcasts. We are getting it. Killing the game. Absolutely. I I was skeptical at first, clearly unnecessarily, because I think it's going really well. Yeah, I like it. I think this is fun. This is a good time. I like being able to like post about our podcast every week too. Yeah, I think it makes it easier on social media too. Yeah. Also, our (laughs) our interactions have increased as well, which is always good. Super fun. I send you like a hundred more TikToks than I normally do. It's like TikTok homework at this point, really. I'm sorry. (laughs) Some of them are kind of entertaining, though. You have to admit. Oh no, I loved the one that you sent me today with the uh with the sweet little grandma. Um, yeah, (laughs) TikTok. If you guys don't know, grandma TikTok is like super fun because they're out here being hateful towards their dead <laughs> their dead ex-boyfriends and I'm here for it They're it's like, such a oh, vibe. yeah I'm still alive but my ex-boyfriend from high school fucking passed away <laughs> dark <laughs> it's just full dark they've just embraced it <laughs> he said I wasn't worth anything but look who's dead now oh my god it's truly the best you know what I guess you have to like at a certain age you just have to just I guess let it all go, you know? I, I mean, yeah. You just live your let life. your inner savage out. Like these people, these these women are like 97 years old. And yeah. Out here like dancing on TikTok. Yes. I love it. It's such a different uh, experience <laughs> for, I feel like, uh, the older generations when I was growing up. This is a good, a good transition. I think it's good for them. I yeah. like it. And entertaining for us. So I'm here for it. Um, yes. So today uh, we would like to change up the disclaimer a little bit. Um, So we can't do this episode without the recognition that this topic can be triggering for some listeners. Mm -hmm. Um, We would like to make sure that everyone is aware that today's episode is on alcoholic beverages. Um, So this could be a difficult or triggering topic for some people. And um, so we, if, if this is triggering for you, go ahead and skip this episode. Yeah. Your health and well-being becomes first. Mm-hmm. Um, and also for those that maybe need help with alcohol or other addictive substances, we encourage you to seek the help, um, that you need. Um, you can reach out to the national Institute of alcohol abuse and alcoholism. Um, and we will link that in our description of this podcast. So, um, there, they have a full list of everything that you may need 
in the event that that is something that you feel needs to happen for you in your life. Yeah. Um, we want this to be a fun episode, but we just have to put it out there in the beginning that, you know, this topic may not be for everybody. Exactly. And as always, we're not experts on anything. And if you've come to the podcast for any personal kind of advice, particularly on this subject, uh, we must decline immediately. You know, we have other resources, like Blair said, that we're going to be linking. So definitely make sure that you check them out and do your own research. We encourage that always, but particularly with this topic, just want to be sensitive to that, to that, to that particular you know, mindset. It's not for everyone. And we all go through different struggles. So just want to be transparent. Yeah. And also on that note, there's also like TikTok. There's a lot of, mm-hmm. I, at least I've been served a lot of videos with the algorithm of people doing like fun mocktails and things exactly. like that. So don't feel like yeah, after this episode, <clears throat> like you have to drink if you don't want to drink. You don't. Yeah, definitely not. Uh, never a requirement. So with that being said, I'm going to go ahead and take us into the good news. Does that sound good to you? So excited. (laughs) All right. Beautiful. So this first one is kind of old, but I still think it's relevant because we're still in February and it's fine. So um, if you have never heard of Groundhog Day, it is not just a movie. It is also an actual holiday. Yes. Um. And according to records dating back to 1887, Pugsatawney Phil, which is a groundhog that lives in Pennsylvania, Mm -hmm. um, has predicted winter more than a hundred times. So just let me give you a brief overview for those those who don't know. So I don't know. I actually don't. I should have done more research on this particular holiday, but- Anyway, the gist of it is um, the groundhog in Pennsylvania, his name is Phil, and every year they get him out of his little hole where he lives. (laughs) So weird. I just want you to know that first, maybe like other countries are like, wait a minute. Super weird. Okay. (laughs) So we wake up Phil. We, he gets all grumpy Mm. and then, um, some town official that lives in the town where Phil lives picks him up or like gets him to stand up. And if he sees his shadow, then it's six more weeks of winter. If he does not, then yeah. it's an early spring. And I don't know why we do this. I don't, I don't know. know either. <laughs> I just thought it was worth bringing up. Um, and why specifically a groundhog? And also why this one in particular in this town, in this state. (laughs) Right. And I mean, it could have been a beaver. It could have been. It just just happened to be the groundhog was in the right place at the right time. I don't know. (laughs) Living his dream now. My goodness. Yeah. (laughs) Set the standard for all groundhogs. It's a bit too high. (laughs) So anyway, anyway, anyway. Um, So Phil has predicted winter more than a hundred times. Six more weeks of winter. Um, 10 years were lost because there were no records kept. Whoa. And in the 2021 and 2022 forecasts also called for six more weeks of winter. Oh, gross. So, um, and I also, the other thing Uh 
this year he predicted six more weeks of winter shocking i know shocking Come on phil i know i know and apparently this is what i found was interesting for those who are aware of this holiday already and like know the deal (laughs) this is what i think is interesting new york city's staten island has a groundhog at the staten island zoo his name is chuck and he made an early prediction for spring what oh no now they're gonna have to fight they're I'm gonna, gonna need to fight. To, I need groundhog to groundhog, Chuck and Phil just <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Like, I don't I don't know. So wow. I don't know. If you want to go with Staten Island Chuck, which is what he's called. <laughs> Staten Island Chuck. <laughs> but, but which I think is kind of misleading because I would venture yeah. to say that maybe he's a woodchuck. Maybe. Um, and that because based on his name, I feel like that would be appropriate, but I like obviously those are two different things so it doesn't make any sense but why did new york want their own uh <laughs> new york is a very pick me place you know they just have to have true. everything their way <laughs> it's my way yeah <laughs> we're going with chuck you know what i'm going with chuck too i don't want any more winter <laughs> i i'm gonna go with the og and say okay. <laughs> you know it's probably gonna be more winter guess we'll find out yeah keep so. you posted yeah um our second piece of good news (laughs) rolling right along going into it um so everyone's heard of the girl scouts girl scout cookie season is coming up ladies and gentlemen so excited very excited what's your favorite girl scout cookie first of all we need to get this cleared up uh i enjoy i forget what they're called but they're the little like shortbread butter cookies or whatever oh yeah yeah trifoils i think it's trifoils I have no idea. I don't know. Anyway, those are my favorite. I I'm a Samoa person or Ugh. a thin mint person and I don't want to hear it because those are the two most popular so everyone agrees with me. Literally, Papa, my grandfather loves Samoas, but he's also a coconut fan which I am not. So, that's fair. Yeah. That's fair. But thin I like mints, thin mints though. Thin mints in the freezer? Oh my yes, god. Yes, exactly. Freezer I can't thin mints. like there's nothing better than that. <laughs> um, all right. So, Troop 6000 is a Girl Scout program specifically designed to serve girls in New York, in the New York City shelter system. Oh. Each week, um, Troop 6000 meets in shelters across the city, and troop meetings are facilitated by trained troop leaders and women also living in the shelter system paired with the community-based volunteer also help lead the group. Cute. Okay. And... Um, they get this gives the girls opportunities to make new friends earn badges and see themselves as leaders in their community nice yeah so it's a really great program Mm -hmm. and um you can actually buy cookies from them online so to support them and all 100 of the proceeds 100 of the proceeds from each box of cookies sold by the members of troop 6000 um directly support the troop experience and is used to pay for things like badge acti- badge activities and supplies. Nice. That's awesome. Yeah. Um <clears throat> so and uh, all of the members get together um cuz there's a bunch of different meeting places, I guess. Um, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because there's so many um and they're spread out throughout the five boroughs of New York. That's so awesome. um they get together and decide and set goals on how to spend their money and everything. Just like a regular Girl Scout troop, but it's just like yeah. a little bit bigger, I think. Is That's what it sounds idea. like. Yeah. So anyway, cookies 
are on sale March 1st. If you want to buy from this particular troop, they have a website and everything. So mm-hmm. you guys can do that if you want. We'll link link everything down below. That's awesome. It's so interesting to be troop 6,000. I wonder if that's like an actual number, like as in like a, like there are 6,000 troops or how many different troops there are, or if they're just like, no, we're going to be called troop 6,000. I was never in Girl Scouts. Do you know what I'm saying? I do know what you're saying. Um, So like the, in theory, there would be like a troop number one. Correct. And then it right, just right, goes right, right. from like one to and a six thousand. I am not sure how the number is established. Me um, yeah, I don't yeah. know. I I was Girl Scout adjacent. I had a lot of friends who were in Girl oh, Scouts, but I don't. Yeah. I I never participated really. Me neither. Yeah, that's interesting though. I'm all for the Girl Scout cookies. Me too. Me too. Yeah. And I figure like, if you're going to buy from like, obviously buy from your local Girl Scouts, but like, right. you know, if you don't, if you live in a place where there's not, this is a right. great option for you and they'll deliver them to your door without like you having to go anywhere or do anything. So that's awesome. Yeah. I love that. Especially door to door Girl Scouts aren't as prevalent here, but they are in like all the shopping centers pretty soon. So definitely. definitely. About that. Um, but you know, <laughs> I was about to try to make like a segue and be like, you know, what goes great with Girl Scout cookies, alcoholic beverages, Yikes! <laughs> which you Yikes. never know. I've never tried the pairing. I can't really I'm sure I'm it. sure on Pinterest you can like pull up oh, I know, bet. a really good recipe for like a thin <laughs> mint mudslide. Yeah. Something or other. That would be great. Um, but I'm not going to use that segue because I don't think it fits in the, uh, what are we talking about? The paleolithic era of alcohol. <laughs> All right. We're taking it back. We're we doing the retro, the retro alcohol. <laughs> I'm sure they were going door to door then too, you know? Um, totally. All right. So as mentioned previously, this episode is going to be on alcohol and as other like episodes, like everything we've done, this is skimming the surface. This is a lot of theoretical whatevers that we're going to start with, give you a basic timeline of potentials, because um, realistically, when it comes to things like alcohol, and even for our coffee episode, it's really hard to narrow down specifically when these things started to become popular and when they purposefully became made by right you know right um so the articles that i was looking at it basically said that alcohol is a natural process in terms of creation and uh, many scholars have noted that animals such as primates or insects or even birds will partake in alcohol like naturally uh, created alcohol but it's all accidental because it's usually like fermented berries or fruits or things like that and they'll just eat it um uh so what you're saying is like when berries like fall off a tree or a bush or something right and then they start decaying and then right a bird eats a rotten berry and gets a little like wasted yeah yeah okay yeah (laughs) wasted wasted (laughs) that bird should not have flown home but (laughs) you know all right. It's just a that's when they party. go in. That's when they go in the windows, right? Oh yeah, exactly. <laughs> that scares me every time. All the birds here do that, particularly the doves, for some reason, and it gives me a heart attack every time. 
Oh, oh my, my gosh. Any hoodle. Um, so it's just to say that there's no direct evidence that our ancestors fermented and drank said fermented liquids, but there are lots of different pieces of evidence that may suggest around the time that this was happening. It's all theoretical. Okay. 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 So that's just to start you off. Take everything with a grain of salt. We don't actually know. Okay. Okay. So in theory, uh, about a hundred thousand years ago, uh, paleolithic humans or their ancestors recognized that leaving fruit in the bottom of a container of some sort for extended periods of time would lead to naturally alcohol infused juices, which is not what they necessarily called it. Uh, they might not have necessarily known the word for alcohol, for example, like we just know that now. Right. Um, just a general overview it's about where we're at a hundred thousand years ago cool um in thirty thousand bce some scholars interpreted that abstract parts of upper paleolithic cave art such as the work of shamans religious specialists um they were trying to attempt to connect to supernatural forces and supernatural beings right and yep most of the time they were trying to reach them through what's called altered states of consciousness or ASC. Yep. Which can be created by chanting, fasting, uh, or psychotropic drugs, for example. And one of those is alcohol. Um, so some of the earliest cave paintings would suggest that activities of said shamans may have been using alcohol as an ASC uh, mm. stimulant, for example. Cool. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I mean, so, they, were having, but, they were having a wild party. Is what basically, I'm that yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> yeah. They were doing some shrooms <laughs> and also drinking. And Terrible. they were like, this is a religious experience. Yes. <laughs> Which, I mean, arguably today, I'm sure some people would make that argument as well. I mean, from what I hear, the 70s were full of it, potentially. Oh, true, true. You know, so this is not a new concept. This is, you know, something that it well, what I'll say is it, uh, clearly this had some kind of religious connotation to it. And obviously in some states, and I don't mean that like some United States states, I mean that in some places, this is yeah. probably still a thing, but I would say it's less likely strictly for religious instances these days <laughs> if yes. i had to guess i would say um so then twenty five thousand bce uh it says the venus of lossal found in french upper paleolithic caves is a carved representation of a woman holding a cornucopia or maybe a horn that's been cored out and some people will also interpret that as a drinking horn or like a drinking vessel, which hmm. would commonly be used for meads or ales or whatever kind of alcoholic concoction they would be drinking at that point. Sure. And then 13,000 BCE, it's uh, this is another kind of conjecture. So if you don't know how fermented beverages work, basically you need a container where you can store things. And then you just let it sit there in itself. There's probably different spices or something you can add to it. I don't really know yeah. how it's made. Um, but you need something to store it in. 
And so about 15,000 years ago, the first pottery that they found was in China. So again, it's just wild conjecture. So like, oh, you need containers. And this is where we found pots for the first time, (laughs) you know, (laughs) like could allude to that. Maybe just a conjecture. Oh, so you're saying like the beginning of pottery is like a right possibly the beginning of alcohol right because previously maybe they didn't have because if if we're thinking about potentially uh earlier than that realistically they may not be using like clay or um vessels that weren't as porous as maybe some if you're using leaves or husks of something to try and make it's got crevices and cracks and you know air is Mm -hmm. filtering in and out i imagine that you could still try and use that if you were doing it on purpose but pots and clay and like those less porous things might have been better suited for that yeah again i i think that's reasonable yeah Yeah. um and then uh 10,000 BCE grape seeds attest to possible wine consumption in the Ooh. I know right in the French 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 the cave in Greece that's a really difficult word um mm. but there were grape seeds there so again just kind of taking elements around the area and being like yep that could possibly indicate this <laughs> yeah yeah in the it sounds like we as we're moving along in time we're getting more and more uh, yes. like closer to alcohol if not already exactly there exactly right. yeah um it's becoming more apparent that yeah yeah this is probably what was happening uh and then we get to the ninth millennium bce early domesticated fruit was the fig tree so they're starting to pick specific things that they're growing which mm-hmm. could indicate a use which mm-hmm grapes for wine Mm -hmm. and then eighth millennium bce the domestication of rice and barley uh and that's important because those were the crops that were used to ferment the alcohol right occurred about ten thousand years ago so again as you stated getting a little more specific it's getting granular Um, yeah we're getting all the different ingredients showing up exactly and in bulk so something it's like on purpose Um, right 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 so that's kind of uh, their estimation of uh, more like individual details, again, that just indicates the potential pathway that was being discovered as people became acquainted with the potential for alcohol. Um, but there were also historical pieces of production methods of alcohol. So now again, even more granular. So basically we stopped at 10,000 BCE and after that period um, became different options for production. So in 7,000 BCE now, uh, it's stated that the earliest evidence of wine production came from jars at the Neolithic site in China. I would try to pronounce the the specific place in China, but I don't want to do it injustice. And um, so it's in China is where we're going (laughs) to, we're going to leave that. Uh, And the the reason that they state that this was the earliest evidence is because there was residue analysis from the jars that they collected that indicated fermented concoctions of rice, honey, and fruit. So Hmm. just that, again, the combination. Um, 
5400 to about 5000 BCE um, based on recovery of what's called tartaric acid and that is a white crystalline organic acid that just naturally occurs in most fruits mm-hmm. um, that evidence was found in ceramic vessels um, indicating people produced resonated wine not really sure what resonated wine is um, but it was done on a really large scale and it was in Iran specifically is where they found it. So again, finding it more places. Are you looking it up? <laughs> yes. What is resonated wine? <laughs> should have asked mm. Siri or I don't have a, I don't have a Siri, Alexa or a Google. So. Okay. Well, according to Wikipedia, resonated (laughs) wine is a type of wine which derives part of its flavor from the exposure to tree resins in most generally pine resin, therefore often being known as pine wine. Pine wine. (laughs) That's fun to say. Prior Um, to the widespread use of barrels in Europe, wine mm. was stored in um, amphorae. Um, which oh. is which is a type of container with a pointed bottom and a characteristic shape. Oh, it's like a special special little pottery vase thing oh, for cute. wine. Okay. Yeah. Um, but then so I guess um let's bring those back. Yeah, so there's <laughs> barrels and then wine was stored in the cute little pottery things with like, they're like a pointed end. So you can't sit them up like a regular vase. It's just mm-hmm. pointy on the end. Um, mm-hmm. And then there's like two handles at the top. Okay. That's cute. And yeah, um, wine was sealed with flavored resin and over time became a feature of the wine itself. Oh, hmm. okay. Okay. So, so resonated resonated yeah. wine basically means that the barrel or the container was sealed by mm-hmm. a specific kind of resin, which then it contributed to the taste. Contri- yes, contributed yeah. to the flavor. Contributed is the word I was looking for. Which, to be fair, makes sense. Even if you're storing it in barrels of wood, I mean, right. that's what happens when you age whiskeys and bourbons and things like that. So that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, so yeah, that was going on in Iran. That's where they found the uh, tartaric acid evidence is, was in mm-hmm. those jars that had been sealed by, I guess, this magical resin. Mm-hmm. Um, 4,400 to 4,000 BCE grape seeds, empty grape skins and two handed cups, uh, were in two handed cups, Greece. <laughs> interesting i don't know if you're sharing with your bestie or you just need two hands i don't know which one it is um uh, hey, like way. a toddler cup <laughs> like a sippy cup, like a sippy cup. <laughs> uh, i don't really know why it was too handled that's interesting um you know i guess whatever you need for stability at that point yeah uh but those are also the early evidence of wine production specifically in the aegean sea region so it's just spreading nice. at that point okay uh, 4,000 BCE, a platform for crushing grapes and a process to move said crushed grapes to storage jar, uh, were evidence of wine production in Armenian site of Arena 1. Um, 
just spreading <laughs> and different methods. So, you know, you've got fermented and now we're crushing them and then storing them. Maybe they didn't crush them prior last time. They just had them whole. And so now they've come up with a new method to produce it. Uh, fourth out, uh, the fourth millennium BCE, uh, wine and beer were produced in many locations in Mesopotamia, Assyria, and Anatolia. Uh, mm-hmm. Hopefully I'm saying that right. And treated as a trade and elite luxury good. At the same time, um, the pre-dynastic Egyptian tomb paintings had wine jar evidence as well as local production of herb bait herb-based beers that is so hard to say herb-based beers um so spreading different methods different areas all had their own specific ways and then we reached 3400 to 2500 bce in the pre-dynastic community of hieronkopolis in egypt had a large number of barley and wheat-based brewery brewery installations so many bees in this one yeah (laughs) it was a lot barley Um, and wheat-based brewery brewery installations installations. (laughs) barley based brewery beer (laughs) no it's like just stuck in my mouth for some reason (laughs) so it it sounds like had beer like before yeah like the beer that we would Mm -hmm. consider beer exactly yeah pretty neat so uh that's kind of the history everything else again i mean after that time frame people are just continuing to spread different methods continuing to create their own continuing to manage their own product imports exports everyone's getting different ideas and so i i feel like after that period i mean there are breweries that prop up everywhere and these days Mm -hmm. and they Mm -hmm. sell ciders they sell beer they sell wine like anything really yeah yeah. Um, but we'll get into some of the science and maybe some of the differences in alcohol that you may not have known in the next segment. Uh, are you ready to take a break? Yeah, let's take a break. All right. Do you hate a quiet house? Are you tired of listening to the office in the background while doing the dishes? Then you need mediocre content. Listen to us giggle and rant about meaningless topics in the comfort of your own home. Put us on in the background while cleaning your house, cooking, or even vacuuming. We promise you won't miss anything important. And you can always listen again. Choose mediocre content for your background noise. Welcome back, everybody. We are back from the break. And (laughs) if our edited spreadsheet of all her information is anything to indicate i believe blair has a question <laughs> i do i have a burning question it, it's all in uh basically a bold font <laughs> okay well i needed to remember what it was yeah and i didn't want to forget like last episode <laughs> that's um, fine oh this is my burning question yeah do you think that the wine and beer mm-hmm. that was produced in the early like 3400 BCEs mm-hmm. tasted any good honestly I imagine it tasted pretty sweet like really the, because you're using so the reason I think that right it, the first indication when they were talking about like what they found or like the um like the coatings on the on the jars in China, for example, mm-hmm. um, was like rice, honey, and fruit. Mm-hmm. If I had to guess, like, 
if you're using all natural stuff, I think depending on the fruit's acidity level and depending on how much honey or how much rice that you used, yeah, it probably tasted pretty darn good and maybe a little bit sweet because I'm also thinking about like um, uh, Japanese plum wine, which is also really sweet. And you usually get that with like a giant plum in your glass. Well, I mean, it was definitely good because people were drinking it, right? But like, I, (laughs) maybe, I mean, in our coffee episode, we talked about how like, um, drinking water was kind of like a no-no back then. Right. Yeah. And so it was like, well, the next best thing before coffee was alcohol because you knew that you weren't going to get sick because it was alcoholic or acidic or clean, clean. Right. So even if it didn't taste good, it might've been the only option. True. True. So I don't, I feel like it would have though. I mean, you're using all natural ingredients. Yeah. I mean, well, just because you're using all natural ingredients doesn't mean like you could ferment that and it would be disgusting. You know what I mean? Like you really, it's like, it's a fine, it's a fine line and there's also a science that goes into it. So I'm sure there were just like there is today, people who Mm -hmm. are really good at making wine and a lot, they have a lot of people who are interested in their wine because they're the best ones at making it and like that kind of thing. I wonder more if, so regardless of whether it tasted like if we think it tasted good i wonder what the different flavor preferences were throughout history like for example how did did china prefer to have like a more bitter taste or sweeter taste uh or compared to egypt like what kind of flavor palettes because obviously they have different types of fruits that they would have had access to so right. I just kind of wonder what their taste preferences would have been, you know? Well, I think it probably had to do with what they had available, you know, right. based in their geographic region. Right. Sure. Um, and I feel like China's was probably sweeter just because they had the sweeter fruits, fruits available. That's probably true. I, and, yeah. and rice, I feel like is generally like when you ferment something with rice, it's a little mm-hmm. bit more like sweet, smooth right. and sweet. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you're right. Uh, listener, though, correct us, though, if, yeah. if you know more about that. But I think I think that is correct. Um, <clears throat> and rice was very prevalent. Right. But then in, you have in, like, the northern, um, like, British Columbia area, mm-hmm. you know, all they had a lot of mead and beer because, right. like, barley, barley and, yeah. and potatoes mm-hmm. were, like, prevalent. you know, their their jam over there yeah. no that makes a lot of sense um so with that uh because you have all those ingredients science has a lot to do with this obviously did i say did i say columbia is that what i said did you say what <laughs> so <laughs> i think i totally messed that up i'm so sorry british columbia yeah i don't know why i said that Hmm. I think instead of, I meant to say United Kingdom, but for some reason my brain was like British Columbia, but that's actually Canada. And I am aware of that. And I'm very sorry. (laughs) Same, same, but different. I wonder what then the real British Columbia would have used. I don't know. If there's any Canadian listeners. I want to know. Yeah. Because you're right, though. The UK had access to potatoes, barley and et cetera. Yeah. 
I wonder what was prevalent in Canada. Or... I don't know because Canada was part of the New World, though. Like, yeah. So we probably they probably got a lot of like what we got. That's probably true. Yeah. No, that makes sense. Um. Yeah, I don't know. IDK, uh... IBFF, Jill. <laughs> Gosh, I haven't heard that in forever. <laughs> throwback no let's your throw favorite it commercial <laughs> nope let's throw it right in the ground right where, back where it belongs <laughs> right in the ground don't need that resurfacing uh anyway science <laughs> my preference <laughs> so there's a lot of chemistry involved in this because as we just discussed whether it's the united kingdom china egypt or british columbia um You've got a lot of different key factors that are integrating to make this process of fermentation happen that then produces the alcohol you want. So if you don't like organic chemistry, <laughs> skip ahead five minutes. Yeah, please just move forward. This is not for you. So in chemistry, alcohol exists when a hydroxyl group, which is a pair of oxygen and hydrogen atoms, replace the hydrogen atom in a hydrocarbon. Look that up if you want to see what it looks like. But the- <laughs> don't, don't do it. <laughs> or don't. All it's time. awful. Don't do um, it. But alcohols bind with other atoms then to create what's called a secondary alcohol. And these types of alcohols are what we use every day. And they are methanol, isopropanol, and ethanol. Of the three, ethanol being the only one you can safely drink. Don't drink the other ones. <laughs> Don't do okay. it. Don't freaking do it. Don't do it. Um, in the process of creating alcohol, there are also different types uh, of ethanol products that you can create. One is distilled and the other is undistilled. So undistilled is kind of what you know most. So beer, wines, hard ciders, mead, and sake. And the drinks are um, fermented. Um, specific for undistilled and the fermentation is the process by which bacteria or yeast will chemically convert sugar into ethanol so wine and beer are both fermented and undistilled alcoholic beverages and wineries will ferment the grapes to make the wine breweries using barley wheat or other grains to do the same so that's undistilled. this is because it is also <clears throat> using sugar to ferment this is why alcohol or part of the reason why alcohol has such a high calorie content. Correct. Yes. Um, the other option is distillation, a process which follows fermentation and examples of distilled alcohol is gin, brandy, whiskey, rum, tequila, vodka, absinthe, and Everclear. Uh, the process, Yee. I know <laughs> the process converts a fermented substance into one with an even higher concentration of alcohol. So it concentrates the alcohol by separating it from the water and other components that's created in that fermentation substance. And then liquors and spirits then are distilled. They contain more alcohol by volume than the undistilled versions. And in general, a distilled alcoholic beverage will have a higher alcohol proof because of that. So you'll see on things like whiskeys and bourbons and things like that they'll be like a proof percentage yes. um so that's the difference uh personally if i had to choose a type that i 
use more often or drink more often, typically doing the undistilled route. I'm a beer person myself. Um, I'm not really like a hard liquor kind of person. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that's my preference. What is your favorite cocktail? Like if you had to choose one, uh, see, that's the thing. I, I... <sighs> Actually, okay, so it's not one that I just go out and, like, grab at dinner. It's actually one Mm. that Tyler will make for me, and it's called the Kirsten drink. How original. But it's literally (laughs) – so it's it's a peach deep eddy with Mm -hmm. ginger beer and lime juice. That's literally it. Nice. Yeah. It's kind of like a mule, like a take on a mule. Yeah, totally. Um, And that's my preference, but I like it because I really enjoy peach flavored things. Mm -hmm. And again, since I don't really like all the other things, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) just that's the one I go to. (laughs) That's fair. No, that's really cute. I like about you though, which, uh, what do you go? Well, distilled or undistilled as a preference, but then what's your favorite cocktail? So, okay. Um, it really just depends on like what the vibe is, honestly. Sure. Like, okay. I would say, um, like if we're at a brewery, I'll drink beer. Like yeah. it's not a big, I'm, I really like beer and wine. I am, mm-hmm. I will drink both beer. I'm a little bit more particular about because I don't, I can't do IPAs and I also can't oh. do like, uh, like a dark beer. So like, oh, stouts. like stouts. Yeah. yeah. I love a good stout though. Um, but I love wheat beers and sours Mm -hmm. and like that kind of stuff. Um, I'm a big fan. So, um, yeah, I, I, you know, I'm good with that wines. I I love a good winery, Mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. it's a fun experience. Um, when we were in South Dakota, Mm -hmm. um, we went to a place that had rhubarb wine, which (laughs) it's very bitter. Um, but it's like, but it's, it's like a sour candy almost like that's how it tastes have I told you the rhubarb lady story no okay tell me your favorite cocktail and I'll tell the rhubarb story okay okay I change your mind on that (laughs) oh god (laughs) okay anyway um for just so everybody knows the winery that it was called red ass the one and it was like its mascot was like a red donkey anyway oh, so cute. I thought so um anyway it's in South Dakota not that anyone goes there but anyway if you do if you do um and then my favorite cocktail is like I would say a gin and tonic is like okay. my go-to yeah um but I also really like um Moscow mules too okay yeah. so one or the like gin and tonic like if I'm at a bar and it's like super busy and I just need something like yeah you know like, I just it's easy um yeah. and usually like cheaper than a mm-hmm. regular like a, a different mixed drink um mm-hmm. but if I'm at like a restaurant and they have a mule on the menu then I'll definitely get that nice yeah, yeah. I I'm <sighs> I honestly, anytime we're in a place and I'm like, I don't really know what I would want. I just pick any, I just really enjoy like trying different beers. That's like my thing. And I don't even really have a preference for them. I like Heineken to Corona to Guinness to mm-hmm. uh, pretty much anything. <laughs> I've been to the Heineken uh, brewery, like the original oh my one gosh, that's so in, cool. in the Netherlands. Yeah. Oh, so really cool. cool. They have a really nice beer. 
They do. Um, okay. So I have to tell you this because it's actually back in our college years when I discovered this. And I don't know if I've ever told you this. So in college, I'm like deeply afraid of what you're about to tell me. <laughs> so in college, do you have any recollection of me working the uh, market with that jelly lady? Um, is it, was it when like you and Tyler were live? you were like kind of basically living off campus for all intents and purposes with Tyler? Probably. I, I think okay. so. Or maybe it was during the summer. I don't know. It was one of those time frames. Okay. So I don't know, maybe could have been. So one of those summers, I cannot remember which one I decided I w- wanted just like a job to do on the side. And there was this lady have no freaking clue how I got in contact with her, but basically she made her own jelly. So she made like pepper jellies and different kinds of jams and she would go to the market. And my job was to help her, um, package everything up. And I would usually run the market stand, set everything up, sell for her and then take everything back. Right. Sure. Yeah. So she made and had a, like, like a full garden out back, but she made rhubarb jelly Mm -hmm. and she told me that rhubarb was difficult because if you don't cook it properly you die and so (laughs) so i never tried it because i you were scared i was horrified oh my god and now i'm like i will never eat rhubarb but i know there's rhubarb pie there's rhubarb jelly there's rhubarb jam like there's rhubarb everywhere and i don't know how people are eating it it please do because i'm horrified even today to even look rhubarb in the eye (laughs) and then i think i heard something about eggplant being similar but i don't know if i buy that it scared me anyway i quit that job like within a couple of months because she was kind of crazy but that's a different issue (laughs) oh okay all right so here we go this is like i think your story is a little bit based on my very generic google search (laughs) (laughs) i think your story is a little bit um interesting because (laughs) all right so okay based um based on this information from nationalgeographic.com okay Seems legit. Rhubarb, rhubarb leaves don't pose much of a threat since a lethal dose of oxalic acid is somewhere between 15 and 30 grams. You'd mm-hmm. have to eat several pounds of rhubarb leaves in, okay. in a sitting to reach a toxic oxalic acid level, which is a lot more rhubarb leaves than most people care to consume. Okay. That's good to know. Can you look up eggplant? <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> I... I mean, we're here. <laughs> I mean, well. basically, this is like this is like when everyone was freaked out because you can <sighs> kill someone with um, apple seeds, you know, because oh. they have a tiny oh, little bit yes. of um, what is it called? What is in the apple seeds? I don't know. Arsenic. Yes. Arsenic. Yeah. 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 It's They're, not that serious. Yeah, everybody. It's not. It's all about doses. I mean, they say that about Brussels sprouts and spinach and the calcium and spinach can like cause you to have kidney stones. But realistically, unless you're eating 40 pounds of spinach daily, you're probably fine. Where are you getting this information from? <laughs> from everywhere. No, it's a scary Get world out, out here. here. With your, with your conspiracy <laughs> bullshit. It's oh my not. God. <laughs> 
<laughs> it's true. Okay. So the reason that I heard okay. this, uh, before you answer the eggplant question, okay. I recent so everything has a toxicity level. You know, like everything, anything good can be bad at certain at certain amounts. That's whether yes. it has chemicals in it in that way or not, right? Yes. And right. so the, recently I saw this TikTok. It was so silly. There was this guy who came into this podcast with a full list of just all the fruits, vegetables, natural whatevers that had carcinogenic elements in it. And again, I would like to reiterate, even with my silliness, I know this to be true as a fellow bio person and also someone with no offense, a little bit of common sense, um, that it is all about dosage (laughs) okay it is all about how much you're eating and realistically we would not consume anywhere near the lethal amount (laughs) of any of these things unless you you for saying that (laughs) i was about to break up with you i was about to be like we can't be friends no if you're gonna yeah i don't buy it i just i think i think it's interesting that these things are coming out because you know you see a lot of things on TikTok. So be aware things that they're spouting about Brussels sprouts, because that's that's the, the most recent. They're talking about Brussels sprouts and spinach specifically because of the study that came out. But again, be conscious. You are not downing 10 pounds of spinach and Brussels sprouts every day. Okay. That's no. unrealistic. If you have Correct. Brussels sprouts like once a week, once a month, you're fine. Okay. <laughs> Just also the mind. benefits of Brussels oh, sprouts and far spinach outweigh far outweigh that. any yeah. like carcinogenic effect yes. they may potentially have based on one study that may or may not have been peer reviewed. And the other part to this, I know we're getting all sidetracked, but it's important. So um the other thing to note is that if it has any level of carcinogen in it they have to denote it as potentially carcinogenic so even if it's nowhere close to being potentially harmful if there is any indication of what they are looking for to claim it as carcinogenic they have to label it as such that's just the nature of the beast it's a rule it is so keep that in mind anyway eggplants i would love to know what you found about eggplants. this is stressful okay all right (laughs) it's really derailed from here (laughs) all right so because eggplants belong to the nightshade family this is really the gardening channel gardening channel.com okay um this is the first thing that came up on google um, so they are in the nightshade family. They contain an alkaloid called solanine, which can mm-hmm. be toxic toxic if consumed, again, in large amounts. Right. Okay. What do they, cons- does it say what they consider like large amounts? Uh, Kirsten's like, am I never going to eat eggplant <laughs> again? I literally had eggplant fries for dinner last night. <laughs> oh my God. You're going to die. No. <laughs> right now. <laughs> Any minute now. Right. <laughs> On this podcast live <laughs> and... <laughs> no i'm gonna release it like two weeks later (laughs) she never came back (laughs) we're not doing the podcast anymore hell surprise all right um all right let's see let Mm -hmm. i have to dig a little bit deeper to get the exact amount gotta dig a little deeper (laughs) start singing princess and the frog in here no thank you You know, they're coming out with a third Frozen and a, or no, yeah, a third Frozen and a fifth Toy Story. I 
did not see anything past Toy Story 1, full transparency. Mm. And I liked Frozen 2, but maybe not enough to see a Frozen 3. Also, didn't they... Oh, never mind. That was something else. Never mind. I probably won't see it, honestly. Although, I need to watch Sing 2. That's on my list. Oh, it's good. You'll like I, it. Yeah, I heard. And... um. Uh, the Rise of Gru. I haven't seen that either, but I want to. I haven't seen that one either. No. Caden's mm. been watching it nonstop. Oh, okay. <laughs> like weeks. Okay, so it doesn't say exactly like how what, much, how yeah. much, but it says in very rare cases people okay. can trigger a reaction, um, which would include hives, swelling, and difficulty breathing in some cases. But that's like oh. irregular allergic reaction. It's not right. like death. That so. means you're allergic to eggplant. <laughs> Right, but which is not a huge mean, deal. Yeah. It's okay. Which, which I right. feel like you can get around the world without encountering one if you don't even try. Yes. Um, okay. Well, this has been lovely. I I think we've stressed <laughs> the people out. I think <laughs> I, I we derailed it. We derailed. Oh, we violence. did it. Like so violent. Is, oh my god. <laughs> I mean, I mean it's it's interesting because I know that. Okay, I, I found a way to tie it back. So alcohol, be drinking responsibly, right? Like it is something to be <laughs> responsible with and in certain doses is not good for you. So just keep that in mind while you're Ask making- any freshman girl. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that- Always just... one. I thought always it... one. I thought it was a lemon drop. I didn't think it was tequila. <laughs> That girl gets me all the time. Look that up on TikTok. So, with that, um, we would love to know your favorite beverage or your favorite non-alcoholic beverage if you're not into that. Because again, this is a space for everyone and everyone's preferences. That's perfectly appropriate. Uh, you can send that in to us via email at mediocrecontentpodcast at gmail.com. You can send us a tweet at mediocre squawks or connect with us over on Instagram at Mediocre Content Podcast. Um, and that's honestly all I have, which is probably a good thing at this point. That's right. Eat your vegetables. <laughs> Please just eat them. Don't worry, eat about, don't worry about the data coming out. <laughs> eat your vegetables. All right. And we'll see you guys next week with something else. I don't know what it's going to be yet. Hopefully not as scary. <laughs> no. Uh, All right. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs>